Welcome to Threshold Church. Today's message is from Pastor Jake Kale. Amen. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew 7 here, verse 13 and 14. And I want to talk about walking on the narrow way. Walking on the narrow way. This is really what the Holy Spirit was highlighting to me as I was praying about uh, this evening's time. I had a couple different uh, themes I was just kind of the Lord's been putting on my heart, but I was trying to discern where to go, and I really felt like this was uh, the direction here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. This is Jesus speaking, and this is in the middle of one of his most famous sermons that we know of. Uh, Jesus spoke many times, obviously. He taught throughout the synagogues and the mountaintops and all, all, all the different places, but, but this is something that's known as the Sermon on the Mount, and there was many people that were gathered together, and it's one of the longest, maybe the longest recorded of Jesus' teachings consecutively, and uh, in chapter 7 here, verse 13, he makes this statement. He says, "'Enter by the narrow gate.'" Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now that's an um, important message that Jesus is trying to communicate to his followers. He's speaking to, to, to disciples. He's speaking to us now later uh, as we're reading it from his word. But he's speaking. This is an important message, right? He's saying make sure you enter a certain way and make sure you avoid a different way. And he's saying that the end result of this is actually life or death. He's actually saying one of these ways is going to lead to destruction. One of these ways is going to lead to life. And so he's saying make sure you enter by the narrow gate. Now here's the thing about the narrow gate. It's not the gate that's the most convenient. It's not the gate that we would naturally gravitate towards. It's not the way that we would necessarily want to in our human ability or our human flesh. It's not necessarily what we would want to choose. So he's having to really call them to something with this, right? Here's, here's something that we, I think, have to come to grips with as believers. Following Jesus is not always easy. Following Jesus is not easy. Sometimes I think we get the wrong idea that, you know, if you follow God, everything's going to be great. If you follow God, everything's going to be easy. So I, I'm not sure if it's how we've communicated the gospel. I'm not sure if it's maybe just you know, an Americanized thing because we haven't had to have a lot of the types of persecution that we've seen in other parts of the world. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but, but sometimes we get this idea. Maybe it's how we, you know, we're so, we so want people to follow Jesus, so we try to just, you know, Hey, you know, accept Christ and you'll go to heaven, right? Well, sure, sign me up. Who doesn't want to go to heaven, right? But notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying that the way is actually difficult. The way is actually difficult. The, the gate is actually narrow. You know, it's, I find it so interesting about Jesus is that he never made it his goal to have the largest following, 
You know, there's certain times where it almost seems like he was trying to weed people out. You know, I mean, he would preach these messages and there's one in John chapter 6 where he's talking about, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They're like, what are you talking about? You, this is, is this cannibalism? Who's going to eat? You know, this is strange. This is weird, right? And, and it says that many people couldn't understand. And they said, this is a difficult saying. Who can follow this guy? And they, many people began to desert him. They began to leave him, right? Because everyone liked the miracles. Everyone liked the power. Everyone liked when the food multiplied. We all liked that, Right? We all liked when there was supernatural provision. We all liked it when there's a miracle and somebody got raised from the dead or somebody got healed of a, you know, they were paralyzed, right? Of course, and there's, we, we should want those things. That's part of what God does. It's part of who he is. It's part of his nature. But sometimes the message became a stumbling block because people are like, oh, that's kind of a hard saying. That's kind of, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can, it's, that's a little bit narrow-minded. You ever hear that? Right? And Jesus actually said, my way is a pretty narrow way. See, that's why as believers, we actually, it requires the grace of God to follow Jesus. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus. We can't do it in our own power. We can't do it in our own strength. So this is not about a uh, you know, self-made way of just pushing yourself through in your own strength. No, it's about yielding, that surrender that we, that we sang about. It's about yielding to his grace and saying, I can't, apart from you, Jesus, I can do nothing. I, I need your grace. Right? A life of obedience to God requires his grace. A life of following Jesus requires the power of the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit because we needed him. To help us, to empower us, because following Jesus is not an easy road. So let's break some of this down. Let's break some of these, these, these two different ways that Jesus is describing. So he says that there's a way that leads to destruction. So follow me. He's saying it's like there's a road, and as you travel on that road, the end result of it is destruction. Okay, so there, there's a way that leads to destruction. And he, he says there's a wide gate, big gate, probably really inviting, probably looks really nice, right? He said there's a broad road, or some translations say easy, an easy road. That the, it's, an, it's easier to travel on. And it says there's many travelers, right? Many who go in by it. So there's many, many people on a wide road with a big gate, but the end result is death. The end result is destruction. Right? There's a proverb that says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end result is death. You know, there's a proverb that talks about how there's a way that seems right. Oh, this seems so right. This seems so good. This, but you don't realize that the end of that path is a path of destruction or death. Now, let me explain something about this road to destruction. You know, typically when you're driving down a road, there's a lot of signs along the way that kind of tell you where you're going. That's not the case with the road to destruction. 
The road to destruction does not label itself the road to destruction. It's, that's why it's deceiving. That's why the enemy, he's a deceiver. You're not, it's not like you're driving down the road and destruction, five miles. Oh, let's all keep going, right? No. That's not, that's not what the road to destruction portrays. Now, God has his warnings. There's some people on the side of the road yelling, don't go this way. Right? There might be some people trying to flag you down and trying to say, stop, this is dangerous. Don't go down this path. This is the wrong way. But, so, but, since, but, but you look next to yourself, oh, this person's going, oh, they're, they're going. They're There's so many people on the road. So, well, how, how bad can it be? Right? So it can be deceiving. So it leads to destruction, but has a wide gate, a broad road, and there's many travelers. And then he says, here's how he describes the way that leads to life. He says, the gate is narrow. <clears throat> the road is difficult. It's a difficult road. And he says, there are few travelers. Right? There's few who find it. So if you just... We're in the natural trying to decide which way to go. And you weren't thinking about where the destination was. You would pick the broad road easily. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm driving somewhere, I don't try to go the most difficult way. Right? I try to find the quickest way in the path of least resistance. And, you know, when it comes to driving in your car somewhere, that's great. Do that. Right? But when it comes to spiritual life, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So we have to consider the destination, not simply the path. We have to consider the destination. Where does this road lead me? Not just does it appeal, not just how many people are on the road, not just the temporary, but what is actually the end result? Where is this path leading? And throughout Scripture, we see this principle that the world is on a course to destruction. When I say the world, I mean the ways of this world, the philosophies of this world, and many of the people that are in this world, they're on a course that actually ends up with destruction. And that's not necessarily a fun truth to think about, but that's actually reality. And so that should lead me to think something. If I'm not going against the grain, then what, what path am I on? If I'm not going against the grain, then what road am I on? If, if the way I live my life is not counter to the way the world is living, then what road, what path am I on? It's like, if, are you swimming upstream? Or are you swimming against the stream? It's much easier to swim with the stream, isn't it? Because that's just the natural course. It's the natural flow. If you just go along with everything, if you go along with the way of the world, you just, it's very natural. But when you swim the opposite stream, you, you meet resistance. You meet opposition. But only a fish that's alive can swim against the stream. A dead fish can go down the stream. 
It just gets carried along with everything else. Just go, you can be a dead fish. You can just be swept right along. You can still just be you're going. It takes some, a, a, a fish has to be alive to be able to switch directions and begin to go the opposite way. See, the devil loves to give many options because he doesn't care how you get to destruction as long as you get there. He loves to give a sense, a false sense of freedom. A false sense of freedom. Do you know what the foundational tenet of Satanism is? Do what you want. That's literally in the Satanic Bible. Do what thou wilt. That's the way it's phrased. Comes from a person in the 1800s who was a, a deep occult. That's where, he, that's where the term came. But do what you want. Doesn't that sound so appealing? You can just do whatever you want. <clears throat> See, the devil loves to give many options. Yeah, freedom, this, that, right? Do whatever you want. As long as the end result is death, destruction, Right? And see, it's like God's way is like it's narrow, it's confined, but it results in life. It results in freedom. It actually results in true liberty. True freedom. Like hell is, is a very confined place. Like isolated, lonely, horrible, like horrific, Right? But you can get there all kind of ways. Heaven is going to be a place of light, life, no tears, no pain, true freedom, worship of God, right? But you get there one way. So it's, it's narrow, but once you get in, it's liberty. It's true life. See, we can see from the example, so many examples in the Old Testament, we kind of see this principle kind of playing out in different settings where God always has a, a people. God always has a person. God always has a group of people. God always has a remnant who are faithful to him, who are worshiping him. But in order to do that, they're going against the flow of the rest of society, against the flow of the rest of the world. Think about Noah. How narrow-minded was Noah. Who had it easier before the flood? The rest of the world or Noah? Who had it better after the flood? He was on the narrow road. It was very narrow. It was very focused. It was very much obeying the Lord. It was following his voice. It was warning about the destruction that was coming. It was willing to be mocked. It was willing to be who knows what else. God always has a people that are willing to stand against the tide, no matter what else is going on. Think about Daniel. Think about the book of Daniel with Daniel and his friends that were in Babylon, right? This whole system, this system of idolatry and false gods and, and worshiping this way and you know, being, being forced to try to bow and have to bow down to this idol. And, but he, God had his ones that would say, nope, I'm, I'm on the narrow. I'm not 
bowing down to those gods. I don't worship these false gods. I worship the one true living God. God had Elijah when all the others were worshiping Baal. All these prophets were prophesying by Baal. There's false prophets that Jezebel had and and Baal and Asherah, these false gods that they were worshiping. But God had Elijah. So God, he always has a people And I just want to, you know, before we go into this a little bit further, I just want to encourage us, you know, not to take on a wrong mindset about being on the narrow path. Like, don't have like a self-pity mindset about it. Like, oh, I'm the only one on the path and oh, woe is me. Like, please don't do that. <laughs> you know, like, don't, don't do it that way. Oh, there's just nobody left and I'm, you know, I'm, you know, God had to correct Elijah about that one, right? Remember, he was like, oh, I'm the only one left. And God's like, no, I've reserved several thousand that have not bowed the knee to Baal. God God has his people. So don't take on a self-pity mindset and do not take on a self-righteous mindset. Like, oh, I'm on the narrow path. And I'm better than them, right? Those are traps, right? Please don't do that, Right? But I want you to evaluate what path you're on. And, and if, if you're on that path, maybe you've deviated, you're being pulled this way or that way. I'm going to talk about how this could apply to different types of areas. But, but I, want you, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show me, God, am I on this path? Am I willing to walk down this path and following Jesus? Whatever that looks like. So, I mean, this, this concept can apply to various areas. So I want to, I'm just going to go through a couple of that of those. Uh, it can apply to salvation. I don't know if that's the only. It's I don't think it's the only thing it applies to. But certainly, when it comes to salvation, what it means to be saved, to receive forgiveness of sins, to receive eternal life. I mean, this applies to that, right? Because. Jesus is the way. He is the way of salvation. God has one way. The devil has many ways to get to, the, to get to hell, like I said earlier. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he is the way, right? The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. And people can, again, cry, well, that's just so narrow-minded. That's just so... It's, it's not narrow-minded, though, if it's just the truth, though. It's just the truth that Jesus, he's the only one who died for my sins. He's the only one qualified to be my Savior. He was the only perfect one. He was the only one that lived a blameless life. And he was the only one that gave himself to be the, the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb. It has nothing to do with saying, well, well, my religion's better than your religion. It's nothing to do with that. It's just simply... He simply made the way himself. No one else could do it. And here's the thing. If you're in a burning building, 
and it's burning down and it's on fire and you're, you know, you're in trouble and somebody's coming in to rescue you and says, hey, this door is the only way out of the house. Let's go. You're not going to say, stop being so narrow-minded. Don't tell me that's the only door out of here. Don't tell me, come on, I can go out this. Th-. You're not going to care about that. If we realize the condition we're in, the, our lost condition apart from Christ, like he just, he made a way. It's not being narrow-minded. That's being loving. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, right? Like it was, it was out of his love that he did it. It's not because he's, he's trying to, uh, you know, make one religion. But it's, it's not about religion. It's about knowing God personally. It's about knowing him in a real way. And there's only one way to know him, and that's through Jesus Christ. Only his blood that was shed can wash away my sin. Nothing else can do that. See, God doesn't, God doesn't bring us into heaven because our good deeds outweighed our bad deeds. But because I was washed in the blood of Jesus. Made righteous by his blood. Now, again, you know, because people can struggle with that concept. Well, like, well if I'm just a, if I'm a good person or if I'm, you know, this or that, right? Um, but we don't think that way when it comes to, like, earthly matters, like earthly justice. Like if a person, you know, committed murder, we wouldn't think it would be good if they, if they went to the judge and said, yeah, I, I'm, I am guilty of this, but I also gave a lot of money to charity. I also volunteered at, my, at the, you know, homeless shelter. You know, I also, and the judge said, you know what? You did so many good deeds that even though you murdered somebody, we're going to let you off this time. Would anybody think that's a good judge? So why do we think that God would, would do that? Why do we think that God would, right? right? See, the wages of sin is death. Like, that's the just reward of sin. So it's, it's actually God's love and God's mercy that made the way out, that gave us an out, that he sacrificed himself, Right? So it's not being, being narrow-minded to, to, to realize that Jesus, he is the way. And there's people from every tribe, every tongue, every language that he's drawing to himself that are coming out of darkness, that are coming out of sin. It's not about a, a nationality. It's not about a certain country. It's not, it's not about any of that. Right? People from all nations are coming to him in salvation. It's incredible. So this, this concept, it applies to salvation, it, 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 but it also applies to other things. It applies to our obedience. It applies to our obedience. Obeying God is not always the popular choice. Obeying God is not always the popular choice. Sometimes your obedience to God will put you at odds with the direction of a culture. Sometimes your obedience to God will put you at odds with other situations or other people or relationships. Sometimes obedience to God will cost you. It's going to. We don't 
always have moments like that, but we come to intersections. See, just like, again, Daniel and his friends, they came to an intersection where their obedience to God was going to cost them something big. Because when the statue got put up and they had to decide, okay, this is going to be pretty obvious if I don't bow down. See, before that, they could go along pretty well, blending in, just obeying God. They, you know, they, they weren't eating the certain foods, but it wasn't an obvious thing. But they were just, they're, they're, but their obedience to God wasn't really costing them much yet. But it got to the point where there was a fork in the road where their obedience to God was now going to be glaring. And it was going to be obvious, and it was going to cost them something. So, but they, cho- they stayed on the narrow path. They stayed on the road to life, the difficult way. That led to life. So our obedience to God, our obedience to his word, our obedience to his spirit, our obedience to his voice, right? Are the choices we make. Where did we ever get the idea that if we would just be more like Jesus, the world would just love us? Where did that come from? didn't come from the Bible. I mean, they crucified Jesus and he was perfect. Do you know one of the promises Jesus made? All your promises are yes and amen, right? We love that song, right? If they hated me, they will hate you. We don't sing about that one a lot, do we? We don't think about that when we're singing all your promises are yes and amen. Yes, right, yes, right. We don't, we don't, we don't think about it. That's not the one we put on the bumper sticker, right? We don't put that one on our refrigerator, right? That's not on our list of declarations to make, right? On our biblical declaration. I, I love declarations. I'm not speaking again. I'm just saying, right, this, is, this, this side of the coin is real. Jesus said, hey, if they, hate, if they hated me, what do you think they're going to do to you? I mean, Jesus actually said that the world would hate his followers. Right? We don't like to sign up for that. Because nobody likes, nobody likes to be hated. Nobody likes to be misunderstood. Nobody likes to be um, accused of something. But it's part of the journey. It's part of the journey. Now, I have to give another little caveat here. It's one thing to be hated for actually, you know, following Jesus. Please don't be hated just for being a jerk. (laughs) Right? This is not permission just to be like rude and, you know, just whatever. And then say, oh man, the world hates me. See, I must be, I'm following. Okay, no. Let's. It's. It, but, it, but if it's out of, because you're following Jesus, because you're standing for righteousness, because you're choosing his path, and you know, the world will, will hate that. You know, I, I noticed something uh, during the month of June, right, where it's, they celebrate Pride Month you know, in, in the world. They, they celebrate homosexuality and all those, those areas and um, I, I noticed something because during that month I would, I, I, on Facebook, I would see people sharing testimonies of being set free out of a uh, homosexual lifestyle or 
transgender, like all different areas, that people would share testimonies. How I used to be, you know, this, and then I got saved, I got set free from this, and just and sharing their testimonies. Uh, if you want to know what hate looks like, read the comment section. Read the comment section of people when they t- tell their testimony, just, just sharing their story. Like, not even, like, being preachy, not even, like, you must repent, or not even doing anything like that. Just like just sharing their story. I mean, the comment, just the vile words, and because in the world's narrative, you're not allowed to have that story. In the world's narrative, that doesn't exist. In the world's narrative, nobody can actually be free. But the, the hatred that just began to be spewed. Isn't it interesting? The people that preach tolerance can be the most hateful. It's just really interesting. But Jesus said, you know, the world will hate us. Why? Because we're not of the world. He said, because I've called you out of the world, you are no longer of the world. You're no longer in that same you know, system. You're no longer in that same mindset. And so just your very presence stirs up hatred. Now at the same time, it can draw people, other people, to the Lord. See, here's something we, we, we don't realize about the gospel. Because we so, you know, want to be so um, inclusive, we forget sometimes that the gospel is actually divisive. Like, just the gospel itself is actually divisive. Not in a mean-spirited way. I don't mean like that way. But just the nature of the gospel itself, because it's a call to repentance. It's a call to forsake a certain way you were living and to repent and receive a new life. And that call is actually causes division. Jesus said this statement. One time I want to do a sermon series or write a book or do something on things Jesus said. Right? Jesus said this one time. Don't think I came to bring peace on earth. Like, what? I thought... I thought, you know, remember the angel said, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Like, who are you? I thought you're the prince of peace. He said, do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And he said, I'll cause, you know, he talks about families, right? Uh, uh, mother will be against daughter and father against and son-in-law against mother. All these different scenarios because the gospel is divisive, not because it causes people to be mean, but because it creates a fork in the road where you have to either obey God or go along with the norm. See, the the gospel, but here's the thing. When we're afraid to preach the true gospel, nobody gets saved. When we're afraid to preach the truth, and it has to be done in love, in the right spirit, But when we're afraid to preach the truth, like for instance, you know, you can be set free from sexual perversion, whatever that is. If that's pornography, if that's 
homosexuality, if that's adultery, if that's fornication, whatever that could be, we don't have to single out one thing, right? But if we're afraid to say that, then the ones that could be set free are not going to get set free. Now, some people might hate you for it, but that's okay. It's not about getting the approval of the world. Okay? It's not about being mean. It's not about trying to, you know, get backlash. Okay? Hear me on that, right? So salvation, obedience, okay? Holiness is another area where the road is, is narrow. Holiness. What does holiness mean? It means being set apart. Holiness means being different. It, it means being other than. God is holy. That means he's other than everything else. Okay? So being holy means to be set apart to God from sin, from the ways of the world, and to God in devotion to him, in obedience to him, in lifestyle, in, our, in the way we think, in the way we speak, right? And holiness might not be the most popular message on earth, but it's very popular in heaven. Because heaven is holy. They cry out, holy, holy, holy. Constantly, the atmosphere of heaven is, is holy. And maybe because we have a wrong view of holiness, or maybe we came out of legalism, and so we're so, you know, we get, we get mixed up with it, and so we resist. Holiness is beautiful. Holiness is beautiful. Different areas this can apply to. I kind of touched on this briefly, but you know, but sexual purity, right? Holiness as it relates to, to sexual purity is the, you know, I, I read an article, um, I read an article a couple years ago, and it basically talked about how much of the church is essentially has the same beliefs about sex as, as the world does. Right? When the scripture addresses this very clearly, how, how it's not supposed to be the same, right? When, when, the, when, when the, the letters in the New Testament talk over and over again about the call to purity and how, you know, the world may, you know, not, he says, not like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's what Paul said, the apostle, right? He said, we can't, it's not about judging the world for being immoral, it's about the church being pure. And so you know, there, this article I was reading, it, it talked about, I think it used the word like sexual atheism or something like that, where it's almost like, where there's like believers who like, with everything else, they like agree with God or whatever, but when it comes to the topic of sex, they almost act as if God doesn't care about that or as if he's not involved in that. You can't read the Bible and come to that conclusion, right? See, God is not anti-sex, by the way. He created sex. 
He's not anti-sex. He's anti-sexual immorality, right? He created the context, the, the marriage covenant between a man and a wife. He created that context for sexual intimacy. He's not against sex, but he calls us to purity. See, wide is the road that leads to destruction. We can see this in our culture, but not just in the culture, because again, it's not, we're not, we're not going to point the finger at the world. We, I don't expect the world to be sexually pure. They just, they, they know what they know. It's, it's called being lost, right? It's, it's, but, when, but for believers, for people who profess the name of Jesus, right, he calls us to a different place, to a different standard. God's way is good. God's way is best. God's design is right. It's good. God is not just some mean guy up there trying to keep you from having a good time. Right? He knows that sexual sin is damaging. Even if there's temporary pleasure, temporary fun, right? It's, it actually is damaging to us. It's hurtful. God knows what he's doing. Okay, so uh, a call to holiness in, in, in that, that area. But what about other areas? What about like how we talk? Our speech, right? Are we, are we speaking in line with a way that's pleasing to God? Are we, or are we caught up in you know, destructive words and um, just filthy language and uh, you know, just gossip and slander and just giving ourselves to speech that is, that is not right? Here's a big one. You're going to love this. What about your entertainment? What are you allowing yourself to be entertained by? Right? What are we watching? What, what are we paying money to put in our eyes? We literally pay money to be inundated with junk. Right? Or the things that we, you know, we listen to, the things that we don't say, uh, that, that, that doesn't affect me. Don't say that. That's being deceived. Okay? That's like eating sugar all day and saying, it doesn't affect me. That's like eating junk food all the time and saying, uh, it doesn't affect me. Right? That's just deceived, right? You're, what we watch, what we listen to, absolutely it affects you. Of course it does. It goes right into your mind. It's very powerful. Entertainment is very powerful. Are you on the narrow road as it relates to entertainment? You know, I'm, I'm, I can be shocked when, it relate, when I hear like, things that professing believers you know, are, are watching and listening to. I'm like, I have to be careful I don't get angry. Angry. Maybe it's righteous anger, but I've got to be careful I don't want to get in the flesh. <laughs> And because, you know, it's the popular show right now, or it's this, or it's that, or... I remember when, you know, Game of Thrones was apparently a big thing a couple years ago, or whatever that was. I never saw a single second of it, but, you know, I heard enough about it to know it was not very holy. 
right? You know, the Apostle Paul gave us a standard of what to allow into our minds in Philippians 4, 8. He said, whatsoever is true, what is, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is holy, whatever is, you know, he goes through his whole list. Think upon the, these things. Think upon those things. And if you use that as your standard for entertainment, you'll be on the narrow road. You won't have many choices. Your options will get very slim. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It might not draw the crowds, but it's a good thing. It's, it's, it's true. It's right. It's good. Okay? There is, there's a, um, I don't know what to call it, I don't know if it's a movement or, or what, but just this, a concept um, of a, a version, I should say, a version of, of Christianity that's just being really um, propelled right now. Um, you probably refer to like progressive, like progressive Christianity, right? It's just, it's, we've, we've progressed, you know, we've we're not stuck in, you know, the old times or whatever like that. I think it's probably a, a response maybe against fundamentalism or legalism or whatever. Whatever it is, it's not good. Yeah, it's, it's actually not Christianity. Okay, there's a, it's a, there's a version of Christianity that's being just pushed and young people are being really drawn to it because it kind of appeals and, you know, it seems like it's, I don't know, cool or hip or I don't know what, but... But it, 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 as it, when, it, when it relates to some of the things I'm talking about, when it relates to like salvation, like, well, just, there's like a universalism, like, well, just, we're all fine, right? Everyone's, we're all fine. Everyone's already kind of, you know, in and, you know, there really is no, you know, hell or there's really no punishment or, you know, God's, you know, God is love. So therefore, you know, God is love. Yes, true. But then the, the conclusion is very wrong. Redefining of what love is, actually. You know, redefining love, redefining identity, redefining gender, redefining sexuality. All in the name of love. It sounds so, you know, good. But you know what it is? It's actually humanism. Humanism. You know what humanism is? It's a philosophical belief system that elevates man above the place of God. Do you know that that's Satan's biggest deception? That's actually, humanism is actually Satanism in disguise. That's actually what it is. You know, when, when, the devil first tempted Adam and Eve. That's what he tempted them with. Humanism. You don't need God. You can be like God. Just eat this fruit. You'll, you'll, God, God knows that you'll, you'll know everything. And he essentially said, you can be your own God. You, you can really, you can just, you can make your own rules. You can be your own God. You can know what's good. You can know what's bad. Right? It was, it was humanism. It was elevating of mankind above the place of God. 
And that, that's the driving force behind this whole movement of, of progressive you know, Christianity that's, that's sweeping. It's actually humanism. That's actually the driving force. That's why there was a video circulating a couple months ago of a Satanist talking positively about progressive Christianity. Basically saying, you know, we're on the same team. He was right. That's the thing. Because the devil has many ways, right? Many roads. It doesn't matter if, what part of the road. The devil doesn't care what part of the road you're on if you're on the road to destruction. He doesn't care if you're on the part called Satanism, the part called, you know, atheism, the part called Buddhism. He doesn't care what part you're on. New age, you know, just, just whatever it is. Humanistic thinking. So this is, this is a huge thing right now. And I think, it's, I think it appeals to people for various reasons, but I think one of the reasons why it appeals is because it gives you the illusion that you can follow Jesus and be embraced by the world at the same time. It gives you the illusion that you can follow Jesus, but then also have the culture give you a big hug because you're following along with the same things. Right? When really... The way of God and the way of culture are two opposing things. And the book of James says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? So please know none of what I'm saying has to do with whether you love people or not. Right? Of course we love people. But is the world influencing you or are you influencing the world? Is the culture influencing your life or is your life influencing the culture around you? So there's other, there's other places, and we could apply this to family situations, workplace situations, right? In the workplace, if you work you know, in a secular environment, Right? You're, you're probably going to stand out a little bit. You should. Right? We're called the light of the world. Light has a tendency to stand out in a dark place, doesn't it? Right? So if you're in a work, what if you're in a work environment where you know, the culture there is just totally not godly? Well, if God's called you there, then good. You, you, you should be a light there. Right? But if we're not careful, we can be swept into things instead of, you know, we, so that means we have to be willing to make certain choices that might go against the grain and be okay with that, right? In our workplaces, in our family, in our, in our other environments, in our schools, if you're, in, if you're a college student right now, if you go to a secular university, you are big time going to be standing against the grain. If you're in a high school, you're, you're, you're going to be big time against the tide of culture. Right? Let's stand to our feet for a minute. I want to bring this here to a close soon.
don't know if Tyler is here or, yeah, just, because I, I want us to just spend a little bit of time with the Lord just personally. I feel like the response is really a personal response because it, really, it could apply in so many different ways. Each of us are in different situations. We're in different parts of our journey. And I just, I wanted us to be able to have some time just to reflect and pray with the Lord and just asking the Lord, God, is there any parts of my life that are, you know, just deviating or am I on the right path? Am I on the narrow road? Am I staying on the narrow road? Have I been influenced by this or that? Or is there areas I need to repent in? I need to, you know, and one of the things that's just brought to my mind right now is even just repenting for any fear of man, any, any fear of what other people might think about us, any fear of, well, what is my coworker, and what is my coworker going to think? Or what is my family going to think? Or what, right? Things we can, we can wrestle with that. But the fear of the Lord displaces the fear of man. And when we have a fear of the Lord in our lives, it helps to remove that fear of man, that, that intimidation of, I mean, imagine the fear of the Lord that Noah had to have, being the only one. He actually literally was the only one. And his family got to come along with him. So imagine what he had to overcome, right? I want to ask God to just bring a greater fear of the Lord in our lives and our hearts. And I just want to, I want us to take a couple minutes just in your own time, in your own space, if you... If you want to stay where you're at, that's great. If you want to kneel, if you want to come to the front, just however you want to just engage with the Lord for the next five, ten minutes. We're just going to take a few minutes to do that. And so I'm going to give you some space. I'm going to pray for us right now. I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to just bring home anything he wants to bring home. Father, I I thank you, God, that you are good and your way is good. Your ways are good. God, it's not because you're trying to be some mean person that you call us to a narrow way. God, your word is good. Your truth is good. Your judgments are good. You are good. Everything about you is good. And Lord, I just ask for your Holy Spirit to come in my own heart. I ask for your Holy Spirit to move in the hearts of your people in this room. God, if there's areas that we need to repent of, if there's areas we need to uh, just be adjusted in or corrected in, God, if there's ways we've given into a fear of man and say, well, what about this? Or I don't want to look this way or I don't want to be called this or labeled that. God, would you just make those corrections, make those adjustments, God. We yield our hearts to you. We yield our lives to you. God, that we would not be ashamed of you. We would not be ashamed of the gospel. We would not be ashamed of your word. We would not be ashamed of your truth, God. We would not be ashamed to be identified with you, Jesus not just in the miracles or the power or the things that seem exciting, but Lord, even in your words, in your standards, in your truth. So God, we just humble ourselves before you and invite your Holy Spirit to do that work in us right now. In the name of Jesus. I was going to give you about five minutes here just of your own personal prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to just speak to you or lead you in this time.
sitting in the room and just to know if you're caught up in any type of you know, sin or something that's gotten a hold of you, like there's a way out. It's not, well, okay, I'm just done then. I'm just condemned. Or I'm, you know, that's why Jesus came. That's why he died. Like to call you out of that. When you turn your heart to him, you have to turn to him and turn away from those things. But it's, it's, there's freedom in the name of Jesus. There's freedom from the power of sin. There's freedom from that deception, from that sexual sin that's gotten a hold or that other area of your life, whatever that might be. There, there's, I, just, I, I don't want you to leave feeling like, well, I guess I'm just in trouble then or I'm just lost or I'm just condemned. No, no, there is salvation, right? All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Right? There's deliverance, there's freedom, there's a call to come out of those things and into life, out of those things into life, out of those things into salvation, out of those things into freedom, into truth. And if you're in that place, just begin to call out to the name of Jesus. Just begin to call upon his name, begin to just to seek him, begin to ask him, begin to yield to his spirit. If you're watching on the live stream, just begin to call out to the name of Jesus. Begin to welcome him and to, to, to wash those areas, to cleanse those areas. 